We are back again, episode number seven, and continuing our discussion uh, on the BLM movement, where at the end of the day, nobody really matters. One of the arguments that was presented was as we looked at the, the, the history behind the word and how it has evolved, the definition, the meaning, um, it, it is a, a theology, as it were, or philosophy is a better word. It's a philosophy all its own. And uh, so the, the Christian has to consider uh, whether or not he or she is, is willing to adopt that phrase to, to show support for th that specific people group uh, when uh, a scripture really clearly de depicts us as, as being one race. So those are very important questions that uh, the Christian must always ask. Uh, themselves. Well, we, we discussed the, the historicity, the evolution of, of BLM, the, both the word, the meaning, and the movement, which it is an evolving thing. It's constantly changing. They're, they're adding acronyms to, to uh, gender identity. So this is a very uh, deep and a profoundly concerning topic. And uh, it would be one thing if we see what's going on in the world, we, we preach the gospel to them, we reach out to them with love. But uh, this is flooding the gates of our local churches, and so we should talk about it. Last time I said that we'll, we'll go over their, their faith, um, and actually it says this on the website, what we believe. That's, that's tremendous. It shows that there is a sense of conviction there, and yes, every movement has a religion, whether it's that of idolatry or the worship of God, or God's glory or man's glory. There is no religion-less or worship-lacking entity. Even an atheist is worshiping something. Um, and so we find that to be true here. It says that BLM started out as a chapter-based, member-led organization whose mission was to build local power and intervene when violence was inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. Uh, I, I understand that they're doing that, but they're really attacking institutions, not violence per se. They're attacking institutions. And if they were attacking violence done toward, quote, blacks, they, they would be consistent in doing so uh, because uh, uh, the, the black on black uh, crimes, uh, quote, end quote, uh, is more prevalent than a cop. In fact, a cop stands a chance of, of dying at the hands of, of someone who's, quote, black than than the other way around. So it's an institutionalized structure aimed to attack um, leadership authority and obviously to also uh, put in people in office who are going to oppose the word of God and legislate laws uh, against the authority of the scripture. I go on and it says here in, in the years since we have committed to struggling together and to listen to this imagining and creating a world free of anti-blackness where every black person has the social, economic, and political power to thrive. Um, well, you know, we have to ask ourselves and they have to explain what anti-blackness is. Um, th there's, there's always a bias in our heart. We're never going to get rid of it. So what's a world free of it and what is creating and imagining? Uh, these are really sad uh, terms that they're using is false realities, a pipe dream. It's hopeless, um, but they do have an agenda and they're pursuing it. And uh, they have been making headway recently. Sadly, some believers are actually given into this as to why the warning is there. Believers, just stick to the word of God, love each other, love Christ, love the gospel, 
love, love the sinner to give the gospel to them and make sure that they know you care for them. Um, but as far as some of the other requests that's being made, uh, that's not going to satisfy them at all. Uh, they want a total eradication of biblical order. And they're using the quote, civil injustice, as a means to get that. Uh, later on in what uh, their belief states, it says our continued commitment to liberation for all black people means we are continuing the work of our ancestors and fighting for our collective freedom because it is our duty. That is not true. Uh, first of all, they are far from their ancestors when it comes to what their ancestors experienced. Secondly, they're far from their ancestors and their ancestors' philosophy of life, progeny, being fruitful and multiplying. Far from it. Um, so they're not continuing the work because uh, the work was on the premise of, of that we're all image bearers, that I'm a, I'm a man, I'm human. But theirs is actually quite different. Uh, it is not the same. To say that we're black is is not the same as saying that we're all men and women created in the image of God. And uh, I, would, I would assert to say that the ancestry uh, promoted reproduction, all right, not the disposing of our children in the womb. So they're not continuing the work. That's not true. It says that every day we commit to healing ourselves and each other and to co-creating alongside comrades, allies, and family a culture where each person feels seen, heard, and supported. Now, they have a, a several bullet points, and I think those need to be, we need to read those because when I posted just a few lines, uh, the, the reaction was good by many and not so good by a few. So I'll read as, as many of these things as I can. It says, we acknowledge, respect, and celebrate differences. Now, just pause it. For the Christian, it depends on what those differences are. But it says we celebrate differences and commonalities. It does depend on what those differences are. Uh, if we're saying that there's difference in our, our cultural uh, life, uh, what we eat, places we go, our enjoyments, each culture has differences. You have uh, dates, uh, celebration, events, festivities. Uh, cultures have various ones, and, and so... Yeah, we celebrate those. Those are great. Uh, those differences, though, for this group goes into the moral phase of things. And those differences actually contrary to Scripture. You saw the long list I gave you, and that long list continues to, quote, evolve, just like the definition of black is evolving. But if we stick with the Scripture's meaning of male and female, why can't we stick to the Scripture's meaning of race? They're significant because it's all in Genesis. These are creation principles and commands. And when we evolve with these topics, it's just really hard when we get these topics and we don't know what to do with these words. At least we think we do, right? It says here, we work vigorously for freedom and justice for black people and by extension, all people. Okay, well, I would say you cannot pressure and guilt a people group and say you're, all for, you're for all people. I mean, if you're guilting the quote whites and you're pressuring them uh, that's not really for all people. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of partiality in these statements if you really look into it. It says that we intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together through a beautiful struggle that is restorative, not depleting. 
Well, that's an ideal world. It hasn't been done since the fall, and it will not be done till the coming of Christ. It says that we are unapologetically black in our positioning. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position. To love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. No. No. Philippians chapter 2 says, Do not merely look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. And then it says, Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Self-preservation is never the first course of action for the, the believer and the Christian according to the scripture. It is others first. So it is Christ, others, and self. Uh, to say that, to desire that for ourselves is a prerequisite for one and the same for others, it's, it's a misnomer. It's not true. They don't mean it. If you want freedom and justice, just want it. If you, th if you think it's a systemic problem, then that systemic problem should affect everyone in some way. So address the systemic problem. You say, well, it's a systemic problem against black. No, a systemic problem is a systemic problem, period. The system just flawed all the way. You say, well, it's targeted against black. Well, okay, we bring in some of the, the, the critical forensic analyses that was done, and we can say, well, yeah, it, it is targeted toward us. That is really unfounded because it's not, it's not entirely the case. Next, it says that we see ourselves as part of the global black family. Well, in one sense, that actually contradicts the definition from ideals and ideologies, which it shows you why meanings are so elusive in today's society. If you don't have a biblical definition, a biblical framework, and a biblical worldview, definitions are hard to find and substantiate. They change. Remember years ago, and when I heard the word dope, it was kind of scary because I knew some people who overdosed on it um, and almost died from dope, the drug. But now it's been adopted, and when you say, man, that's dope, it's not that you have dope. It's like, man, that's cool. That's great. But here, I know that words change and, and we make them hip and they evolve. But if we, if we have a good God-honoring category, it's just easier for us to work with it. Because if they see themselves as a part of the global black family, but then they define the black families having uh, been a part of a, the colonization of, of a society... Um, and, and it's ancestry in Africa from the indigenous family. But here it says that we see ourselves a part of that global family. So which one is it? I'm sure they can explain that and it may make sense, but it shows that there is some, some contradiction there. Um, it says that we are guided by the fact that all black lives matter. Now listen to this. Regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity. Gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. Now, I don't want to get into the government's and the government's responsibility. Uh, we say immigration is a sticky thing. Uh, many, many people came to the U.S. And, and invaded the U.S. The Native Indians were first here. Well, that's, that's our history that they may have been. But as someone said, history is complicated. Uh, once a nation is established, they still have their regulations, whether they let people in illegal or not in the past. And so the immigration status, uh, it's 
it, it is a sense of promoting lawlessness if people do not go about the legal means to pursue um, their immunity here in the U.S. Uh, or a citizenship in the U.S. But that that's not the most pressing topic. I'm just saying that when you lump these things together, there's really no ethical or moral responsibility because here you have gender identity, sexual identity, gender expression. Um, and we, we say that all lives matter, don't get me wrong, and all lives matter no matter what, but when they are saying the regardless part, they're asking for total acceptance of that lifestyle. Um, it says that we make space for gen gen transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. Well, you know, that's really hard to do because the men are called to lead sacrificially, sanctifying their wives, protecting the home, providing for the home. It doesn't mean the wife cannot work, but the main provider for the, the home is the father or the husband. And then the wife, her main priority is the ministry of being a homemaker. It doesn't mean that she cannot work. And I know our world just goes up in arms when that's being said, but that is a, that is a biblical priority. All I'm doing is giving you the biblical priority, not the social construct. Um, the biblical priority is, is the man serves, uh, sacrifices, sanctifies the home. Um, and then the, the, the wife, uh, she's, she's the homemaker. She cares for the home, keeps it uh, structured, organized, loves the children, shepherds them in the truth, catechizes them. And uh, there are times when the wife does work, but I would say that the biblical ideal uh, and priority for the wife is for her to serve her husband and children at home. It is a great ministry. Uh, of course, that once again contradicts today's society, but we're actually not here to preach what's palatable. We're here to preach the word of God. And I hope that every faithful pastor has that same interest and zeal. Now to the next one. It says we're self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by uh, trans antagonistic behavior or violence, that is. Uh, the, the, the cisgender is someone who's born male or female, and they say that they have a privilege. And then the trans antagonistic violence is, is actually either fear-based or hateful violence toward someone who identifies themselves other than male or female. It says that we build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. And so this misogyny, of course, uh, prejudice against women and environments in which men are centered, it's quite puzzling that that will actually be an issue. Um, quite puzzling there. The center of all attention should be the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of this fallen world, we're actually focusing on each other. That's a fixation that is, is nauseating because of sin. It says that we practice empathy. We engage comrades with intent to learn about and connect with their context. Of course, it's good to do that, but there should be a biblical precedence. But here, that's, of course, not the case. Um, it says uh, we make our spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. Now... It says next here, and I quote, we dismantle patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work, quote, double shifts so they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. So here, the, the patriarchal practice here is where men lead. 
essentially. So it's the deconstructing of our men at home. Statistics actually support uh, that in our community uh, of, of uh, people of my ethnicity, that the parental structure is a very important part of the upbringing of the, the children. That where you have a broken home of, of an absentee father or an imprisoned father, that that child, especially the son, will either tend to do the same or not lead a responsible life. Now, that if that's the case, they want to dismantle what's left of it, which is not much. All right, next. It says that we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. We disrupt that requirement by supporting each other as extended families and, quote, villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Of course, the nuclear family structure is two parents and a child, which... You know, father and the mother and the child, that's, that's great. They say, no, we disrupt it. Uh, that's a loving way to be tolerant. But they call it a Western prescribed. No, it's not. It's biblical. It's biblical. It says children obey your parents and the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children, don't exasperate them. There's the father. In Proverbs, you have the training and instruction by father and mother, respectively. Uh, in, in Genesis, uh, you had a, a, a father and a mother, a husband and a wife being children. And there's really no other way to, to be fruitful and multiply. Got to have the two to make the one child. Uh, so this, this is depravity, people. It says next that we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. Now, the Google definition of heteronormative thinking is denoting or relating to a worldview that promotes heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation. Now, we're not talking about orientation at all. We're talking about design. Creation's design. That it is, it is not promoting of it it is declaring of it. It is teaching it because it is what scripture teaches and it is what God ordained in Genesis. So they, they say it's a tight grip. It's a theological conviction. So this whole movement has a religion all its own. And I will argue that you can use the word black and you can say black lives matter. Okay, but just know that there, there is a marriage between the two because we don't have a theological, justified, acceptable explanation of that word black or white. We don't. So if someone were to take it and use it for that cause, that's actually right for them to use it for that bad cause because there's really no place for us to say, no, it fits here. So it's all over the place. It's just scattered. It's like ashes after a fire. And we're trying to put the body back together. It says that we cultivate an intergenerational and communal network free from ageism. That is discrimination against middle aged or elderly people. We believe that all people, regardless of age, show up with the capacity to lead and learn. 
Uh, we embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in all our engagements with one another. Well, liberation, I don't know about that. They're Marxist. That's not liberation, it's communism. It's actually socialism, but socialism in, in the Marxist philosophy is just a stepping stone to communism. And so there you have some of their conclusions there for you to think about. Now, let me wrap this up, if I may, by saying that BLM is religiously, socially, and economically dangerous. They oppose scripture's view of the family. They are Marxist in their economic beliefs. They incorporate some aspects of CRT, which is critical race theory, and I do hope to touch on that in another episode or two. But that is really a forensic platform. It's, it's a lawyer's approach to finding loopholes in America's system. That is where you get systemic racism from. Which means if a pastor stands up and say, we take a stand against systemic racism, what they're saying is that everything here is racist, including the pulpit that I stand on, because it was built off of the backs of slaves. So this system here and this movement says that if you're, quote, white, you will always be guilty or they will they will respond to your remorse or empathy with skepticism. To that point, I would say that there's really no hint of systemic racism in every act done by law enforcement. You know, a law enforcer does an act that's too aggressive, and we have seen that. Um, the, the act toward uh, George Floyd by Derek Chauvin was absolutely horrific. Being aggressive is an understatement. It was brutal. It was brutality. But it doesn't mean that it is all racially motivated. Quote, racially motivated. As Christians, we need to look at the facts. And if the facts cannot substantiate the hypothesis then we don't march with those people. I mean, we're out there marching saying Black Lives Matter, but that march is actually a response to what we would think is racial injustice, quote, racial injustice in, in Minneapolis. Now, we know in the Arbery case in Georgia, yes, that is true. In other cases, it may have been. Some of them were just gross error and negligence on the part of the officers, but it doesn't represent the entire system or the uh, the, the law enforcement and all of them. This This movement says, no, the entire system is wrong. It is not looking at individual sin or culpability now. And as, as believers, you know, if we're going to protest, we, we have to know what we're protesting for and why. And we protest with the facts. I mean, the great Protestant movement was based on theological facts. And that's, I mean, if you want to protest on that, that's great. If, if someone says, I'm, I'm protesting because we can't worship, that's true. That's we can prove that. We can substantiate that because we weren't, right? They were telling us not to gather. But the information that we were receiving from Minneapolis was not clear. It was not clear. And so when we say that we're standing against the racial injustices, I, we need to know, well, where, why, and how. Uh, we can't just say it's systemic. As Christians, we must be discerning and make a good decision so we're not accused of judging others wrongly without having all the facts and the evidence before us. And there are times when you don't have all the evidence that you need to make a decision and you say, well, praise God, I turn it up to the Lord and there's really nothing that I can say on the matter. 
It's okay to do that too. In fact, it'd be good to do that more often, I would say, as believers. But the structure that we see with BLM is, it is dangerously and sinfully corrupt. And here's where I say the church can do better because of Christ. Um, our adoption of the world's concept is louder than the silence that they accuse some of us of exercising. When we adopt to the world's concepts and we don't have the, the facts and, and the truth to corroborate it, uh, we are worse than the silence that they say we're exercising. We are more guilty than the men we accuse of racism as Christians. We're more guilty than Chauvin because we have the spirit of Christ in us and we're not willing to actually depend on him to help us. So these movements are in line with the philosophy of this world and under the rule of the evil one. So on that, let me make a few suggestions and let me just say that it's, it's important for, for you to engage with your local church leaders on this. I am not your pastor. I'm just speaking from the soapbox, which is, is not uh, authoritative in any sense, just sharing some thoughts. But I have a few suggestions. Uh, if your church is caught in the battle, discuss it with your leaders and ask for a theological explanation on why any alliance your church has with that movement or any other suspicious one. Ask for a theological explanation on why. It's good to do so. Have good, healthy dialogues. Don't accuse, just ask questions. I would say respect your leaders. And there's some members who, who don't know how to respect their leaders. They, they, they believe accusing the leaders is a virtue, but that's actually contrary to the script and it is a sin. If you want to raise an accusation against an elder, you need to have witnesses there and uh, it, it needs to be done in the presence of other believers or other elders. Number two, pray that you may have sympathy for the suffering and maintain faithfulness to the Savior. Don't set aside the scriptures to meet any need, but apply the scripture to serve your brother and sister in Christ. Apply the word of God in these instances. And number three, think about separating yourself from any movement that is not in line with the will of God and the kingdom of his son. In other words, is this movement advancing the kingdom of God? Well, what is this movement teaching us about the kingdom of God? Because there will never be any global rec reconciliation until Christ returns. He's reconciling sinners to himself. But global reconciliation, where all things are beyond the authority of Christ and, and there'll be no more death, the new heavens and the new earth, that's in the future. That is in the future. So you need to make sure that whatever movement you're involved in, that it is not actually contradictory to the word of God and the will of God. That is why good biblical counseling by other fellow mature believers, um, as, as one writer said, find a trusted Christian friend that is willing to tell you the biblical truth and not their own opinion. Number four, identify yourself with eternal goals as your priority, right? Make sure that your goals are eternal, not temporal. And then as you do so, assist others, help them if they're struggling, if they're mourning over this time, if they're sad and help them. But the help that they need the most is to realize the, the frailty of this world, the mortality that we live with, the, the reality of our mortality is a better way to put it. And that, yes, we're just temporally passing through this life, but we're going to spend more time in eternity than in this temporal world. And that what sinners need more than anything else is to be forgiven of their sins 
and reconciled to God. Well, thanks once again. My name is Seymour Heligar. I look forward to the Lord's will to spend more time with you next time on the Pastor's Soapbox as your host. May the Lord's grace, may his joy and peace in Christ be with you. Thanks again for listening.